Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gonna take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, welcome in another edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. And uh, we have none other than the pride of St. John's Prep, uh, and that is Pat Connaughton, local kid. We figured we'd bring on somebody that, uh, you know, would know Bob and Bob knows. And this is a, obviously Pat and I have known each other a long time. So uh, this will be a fun one. All in uh, Bostonians here. And, and uh, Pat first, what, what's it been like for you? You guys had all the momentum uh, with the M- Milwaukee Bucks and uh, you're playing so well. And to have that halted uh, right now, how difficult has that been for you to kind of process of, we may not get a chance this year to, to be able to compete for an NBA title? You know, I think uh, all of us are still optimistic. I mean, we're still finding ways to try to work out individually. You know, I actually just finished the workout. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that we keep um, as much of that feel of this season alive for a chance that it does resume. Uh, but I think to the same token, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we're pretty confident in what we've been building here in Milwaukee overall. So while this season obviously was going great and we hope that it continues because we want to finish what we started, I think we also believe that the things that we're building, the culture that, you know, John Horst and Coach Bud and the ownership has started to bring to the city of Milwaukee um, is longer lasting than just one year. Before we go any further, we have to get to the important stuff. If pressed, could you sing the Notre Dame fight song? Of course. Okay. Of course. I, could probably, I could probably play it too. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah. Oh, what instrument? What instrument? The piano. Ah, congratulations. I like Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's a little rusty, so I hope you don't call me out on that one on this podcast. But give me no, a few I months. Just, I just wanted, to, just wanted to make sure. We need to hear a little bit. You can't, you can't claim you know it and then not, not give us a little bit of it. Come on now. All right, all right. That's good enough. Good enough. All right. Well, anyway, as a BC guy, I, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stay away from trying to compare us. But there was yeah, the, the holy, point, the holy war stuff. You know, there was the point in time when we actually had tied Notre Dame in the all-time football, uh, even you know, series. Uh, wow. But really? then you got, yeah, and really, we did because there was a run, but uh, we, we did tie. But now, of course, you 
pulled way back. Like Havis. I have a question for you that I'll have to dial you back to your Portland days. But you were part of a fascinating roster composition, such as this Commonwealth of Massachusetts has never seen. There were four of you from the Commonwealth of yep. Massachusetts, and actually greater Boston for that matter, with Noah Vonley, uh, Pat Lehman, and Shabazz Napier, and yourself. So was there bonding, or was there trash talking, or was there anything that, that you know, that unified or, or, or polarized you guys? No, so it's funny. So me, Baz, Noah, and Jake, we all actually grew up playing against each other to some degree. We were all different ages, but, you know, I played against Shabazz since way back when I played at Fidelity House, and he played with, um, you know, Metro Boston. And then, you know, we continued to play against each other with Magic and BABC. Uh, Noah, I always played against with the Masked Rivals. And then Jake uh, was a BABC guy, but he was a guy that actually Notre Dame had recruited a little bit when I was there. So um, it's funny because we all not only grew up in the same area, but we all played against each other. We all had some history together, which was even crazier. So it actually, I mean, heck, that was the same year the Patriots came back twenty from the 28 to 3. We were all huddled around a little phone watching it together going crazy. Did the rest of, how did the rest of the team, did they bust your balls in any way, you guys? You know, oh, you guys, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, they, uh, they gave us a hard time for the Patriots for sure. We were all Patriots fans. I think me and Baz were more diehard fans than maybe Noah and Jake, although they may give me a hard time for saying that. Um, and I think – the biggest thing they always gave us a hard time for was, you know, we kind of prided ourselves on, on, on working hard. So, um, you know, guys like Dame and CJ, they worked hard as well. So they used to tell us, you know, Hey, you don't have to be from Boston to work hard. We can work hard. We can work just as hard as you guys. So Pat, how has life changed for you? If at all, uh, since the slam dunk contest, you know, obviously I, I think that that got you out there in a different light. People got to see your personality a little bit, uh, and yeah. the vertical <laughs> has it changed? Uh, I'd say a little bit. I, I mean, personally, not much. It's stuff that I kind of knew that I could do. Um, it's stuff that people closest to me knew that I could do. Hopefully you both knew that I could do, but I think to do it on that stage and to be able to add a little charisma to it and have some fun with it and, um, uh, you know, kind of at least to a degree put to bed the whole, maybe deceptively athletic. Maybe people can at least give me the title of athletic. I'm not, I'm not, not, not looking for majorly athletic yet. I'm not looking for freakishly athletic like some like my teammate, but just I would like to just get the deceptive word off the front end of that. So who, who came up with the idea of the white man can't jump uh, whole mantra there? Was that you or, or, or are we giving somebody else credit? No, that, that was me. Now, I – I talked to a few people about it to make sure that it was as good as the idea as I thought it was. <laughs> um, so there were a few people that, that loved, actually the majority of everybody loved it. There were a few of my close buddies that were like, if you dress up like white man can't jump, you better get that damn dunk down. Because if you don't, you're playing into the wrong side of that stereotype quick. Very true. You had to uphold the, the white man can jump a little bit. And uh, you did. You, listen, you repped well. I'm, I'll give you credit. You repped well with, with a lot of pressure on you, I think. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think, you know, the biggest thing for me when I was going through it, I wanted to, I wanted to have fun with it, but I, always, I also wanted to take it relatively seriously. I wanted to make sure that I made my dunks. I wanted to make sure that I represented not just myself, but Milwaukee ownership, teammates, everyone well. Because at the end of the day, I think those things can go pretty badly if you don't take it a little bit seriously. So I wanted to think through it. I wanted to make sure the first two dunks that I did 
were good dunks, but I also knew that I could do them. And I think that's kind of what I was able to do. I was able to have some fun with it. I was able to, you know, give the judges a little bit of a hard time maybe here and there. And I was able to, uh, you know, share it with my teammates, get two of the, you know, greats to ever play baseball and basketball in the city of Milwaukee involved. After you, just far into your career, uh, your professional career, both two sports, uh, but the NBA, uh, what, not only say what's the biggest myth, but what's the biggest misconception that people have about the NBA? I would say the biggest misconception is, and I heard it a lot. You know, I heard it when I was in college. I heard it when I was in high school. Um, there's so many people out there that think NBA game is goes at half speed. The NBA game is lacking defense. The NBA game is not as fun to watch because guys don't try as hard as the college players and this, that. Um, that's what I heard a lot. And I could tell right when I got into the NBA, that's not the case. Like sometimes the game looks like it's going slow because guys are so good. Guys make it look easy. It's not that it is easy. Um, you know, when you're talking about, uh, you know, James Harden, he gets a bad rap for defense. The guy can defend, you know, it, it may not look like it uh, on tape. It may not look like it to the, um, you know, untrained eye, but to a true basketball fan, to a true basketball uh, savant, if you will, NBA players give give their effort night in and night out. I mean, guys like Russell Westbrook, obviously you can tell more than others because of the emotion he plays with, but guys that don't play with emotion still are working as hard as they can, and they still have the talent, work ethic, and they play hard. And I think that's something that I've seen. It's the combination of size, speed, athleticism, quickness. In college, you can get away with being a little bit smaller, but lightning quick, a little bit bigger, not as quick, but really strong. In the NBA, you have to have a combination of both or else, you know, you're going to get chewed up and spit out pretty quickly. So are, are we throwing away for good the uh, our, our thought that maybe you could play baseball still at some point in your career? Is, is it done and over now that you've established yourself? Because a few years ago, let's face it, you weren't sure. Coming out of Portland, right, you didn't really have a, a security in the NBA. Now you have that. Is it over now? Is it in the back rearview mirror that, you will never play professional baseball again? Look, I'm not going to say it's over because to the same, just, I mean, things come and go quick. So, you know, I, I've been fortunate to find a home here in Milwaukee. I love my teammates, love the organization. I've been able to, you know, kind of carve myself out a role. I hope to continue to, to play in the NBA for 10 more years. But to the same token, um, you know, I've always been a guy that's kept my options open. I always want to make sure that I at least keep my arm loose because more than anything, um, it's not about the worry of not being able to play basketball at this level now. It's more about, you know, when I was a kid, I dreamt of playing two sports professionally. Think about how many kids out there dream of playing one sport professionally. So if, I, if and when that opportunity arises where my basketball career is successful and it's on uh, you know, a downward trend and I have an opportunity to give it a shot, give it one last run at baseball. I feel like I wouldn't just be doing my, myself a disservice, but those kids that would have killed to be in this position um, that I may give it a shot someday. You now, if I end up being Kyle Corver's age now, now we're talking about, I'm not sure if my, my future wife and family will be, will be keen on me <laughs> driving through the, uh, you know, minor leagues on a bus uh, every single night. Have you done uh, do any homework, or should I say, to find out, does the name Gene Conley ring a bell? Does anybody, you know, bring that name up to you along the way when you were talking, when having an idea about being a multi-sport athlete? 
Uh, not him. They hadn't brought him up specifically, but I, I do know the name. I do yeah, know who he is. Because he, he actually was a, as much, he was actually played in an all-star game as a pitcher for the Braves. Uh, well, as many as 14 games in a, in a uh, regular season. Uh, and then a backup center to Bill Russell for a number of years uh, in the late 50s, early 60s. And, I mean, it, it's, it blows your mind now to think about it. And, you, and you, then you think about the overlap of training camp and playoffs. Playoffs didn't go that long then. You know that. Right, but, uh, right. We'd be in them now, by the way, in, in those days. But, anyway, um, yeah, I just wondered if anybody threw that one up. Particularly since, size-wise, he's 6'8", uh, you know, and oh, wow. so and you're a big guy. You're a big pitcher. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, I just wonder, well, you know what? You'd, and he's a wonderful guy. He's still around. God, he'd love to meet you. He's not yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, this would be a wonderful meeting of the minds. Uh, Gene Connie's a, a sweetheart guy. But anyway, there's a name you just file that, and, and you would love to meet Gene Connie. I will. It's 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 crazy. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I'm a two sport guy, but uh, it's so cool to see guys back in the day had the ability to have some success in multiple sports. And I think in today's culture, not only does it not happen in the pros. It doesn't happen in college. It barely happens in high school nowadays. And I think that's one thing I've always wanted to um, continue to shed light on to the next generation is, you know, you don't have to specialize at a young age to have success in a sport. If anything, it can actually help you, help your athleticism, help your health, help your coordination, help your mental side to play multiple sports, especially up until you go through high school. I don't know if you uh, – but first of all, I love hearing you say that because uh, I totally believe this, and I'm a firm believer of it. Uh, one more do you happen to know. Danny Ainge has a distinction that will never be topped, never, by anybody yeah. ever. You know what it is. He played in two All-Star games on the same yeah. day. Played yeah. in a baseball All-Star game in the afternoon and a high school basketball All-Star game in the state of Oregon uh, at, at that same night. That's awesome. That's awesome. Was, I mean – And he was recruited as a wide receiver, by the way, by every school west of the Rockies. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you miss guys like that. You miss oh. guys. I mean, what was it? Deion Sanders almost played in two playoff games in one or two yeah. professional sports games in one day, right? But they didn't play him in the baseball game? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 He could have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Who, uh, who, who are you like as a pitcher? If you had to compare yourself to a major league pitcher, either now or, or you know, prior, who would it be? Uh, who? I don't want to say this and sound too confident, oh, but no. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I'd say I'd say Verlander. Um, really? You know, I grew up idolizing Pedro Martinez. I idolized him. Uh, I would love to compare myself to him. The fact of the matter is, he was a little shorter than me. His arm speed was a little bit different than mine. The velocity was similar, but the arm speed, like he had a quick arm. Mine's a little bit more long levered. Um, Verlander's a big guy. Verlander can bring the smoke, and I'd say the biggest thing was uniquely as the game got deeper I threw harder which could have been me being a very poor at warming up or it could have been just the mental side the competitive nature that came out as the game got deeper and deeper um so whenever I I would I loved watching I'd sit down and watch him throw nine innings whether it was a regular season game or a playoff game I want to go back to basketball for a second. Uh, okay. I, I go back literally 50 years covering the league. And, and, and one of the interesting places for me going to in the early 70s because of the atmosphere was Portland. And uh, I, I used to kid, I said, the fans there, there were like 12,000. There was, they used to play in the old Memorial Coliseum. See the 12,000? Yeah. I said, there. yeah, I said, it was like 12,000 three-year-olds locked inside in a small apartment on a rainy day. It was, they were, there was something about them. And I said, and they should take the floor, 
the trailblazers, PHS, Portland High School. It was yeah. that kind of a feeling. Now, that was 50 years ago. But I want to know how much of that is carried that was carried over in your experience playing in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it was very much the same. You know, I've been fortunate. Obviously, I grew up in Boston, great professional sports fans. I grew up in or sorry, I played in Portland, phenomenal professional sports fans. And in Milwaukee, um, the sports fans have also been just as good. I'd say in Portland, the the uniqueness about it is what you're saying. Like it rains there often. <laughs> people aren't outside all the time they use that energy that they would have outside and it's inside the motor center it's seventeen thousand people every single game now when i was there we were we were good we found ourselves in a lot of tight games uh we had to win games it were, and it was a playoff like atmosphere so um i experienced those games quite a bit when dame hit two shots in a row it was like he hit eight and the away team felt it um you know when cj got going and he crossed somebody up somebody fell down it was like he just crossed up all five guys and they fell down at the exact same time it was just magnetized on such a unique scale because of that's their pride and joy out there you know I think um you know Portland was a great city they're great to me the organization the fans everybody uh but basketball is what they live and breathe and I think that's what made that atmosphere so unique with currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, XFL, and many more. So if you're into entertainment, you can still bet an American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Be sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. Uh, how, how are you? You just got back from a run. I don't know what the weather's like in Milwaukee. It's actually fairly nice out here today, almost 60 degrees in Boston. But how are you staying in shape? I mean, obviously, the LeBrons and the Kawhis of the world, uh, they've, they've got courts in their own uh, house. I, know. I don't think where you are, you have a court in your own uh, place there. I don't think you make the money to be able to do that yet. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you do it? Have you shot the ball at all? Uh, it's funny you say that. My, my real estate development, we haven't gotten to the point where we've built basketball courts yet. So we'll have to throw that into the business plan at some point. Uh, but, yeah, you know, for me, uh, it's, today's actually a nice day. Uh, you know, it's mid-50s, I'd say. The majority of the days the last few weeks have kind of been cloudy, overcast, unfortunately, uh, a little of that haze that comes off the lake. Um, I've found ways. I know, you know, I, I kind of pride myself on making sure that I find ways to work hard regardless of what that is, and uh, especially in the weight room. Since I was in high school, I knew that was going to either hold me back or separate me um, at the next level and, and hopefully the professional level, and that was making sure my body was in shape, my athleticism was able to be seen. Uh, on a national scale, et cetera. So, um, you know, when I found out practice facilities were going to shut down a few days a week after, um, you know, the season shut down, uh, I worked with the strength staff and they were able to give me some weights, give me a deadlift bar, give me a bike, um, one of those assault bikes that I vehemently hate, whoever designed, but they're very good for you. Um, and, you know, I just, I put it in my apartment. You know, I have basically a weight room set up in my apartment in our third bedroom. I'm able to get outside and I just ran hills, ran the stairs down by the lakefront. Uh, I'm able to do body weight stuff. 
I'm just trying to find ways to keep myself in condition shape and strength shape. Um, unfortunately, I don't have access to a basketball court. Um, I can go outside and shoot a little bit. To the same token, it hasn't been all that warm here, so you know I'd have to wear Will gloves you? while I'm doing it. Will you? Uh, or if does I that have... scare you at all? Of of you know, around here, it's it's don't go to the parks, right? You still see some people, families yeah. playing soccer, whatever here in Newburyport. I know you know where that is. Um, but sure. but you feel like you can just go out to a court and just start, you know, grab a ball and just start shooting? Uh, I think it depends on the situation. Like, I think I'm trying my best to make sure I abide by the social distancing stuff. You know, obviously, um, to the same token, if there's nobody on a basketball court that I can see from my balcony, I might go down and take a few shots just to keep my sanity. Um, you know, it's it's tough. Like you said, you know, the majority of guys in the NBA are not LeBron and Kawhi. They don't have a basketball court that they have access to, or we're not in a climate where the outdoor basketball court in our driveway is going to do us much good. Um, so it's one of those things where I'm, I'm surviving. I'm surviving without touching a basketball in the last few weeks, but it's the unknown of how long it's going to be. You know, who knows? Maybe I'll get in my car and drive up to Hampton, New Hampshire, take the 15-hour ride and shoot on my shoot on my hoop in the driveway at some point. I don't, I don't know how long I'll, I'll, I'll rebound. Last. I'll get some gloves and I'll rebound for you. Pat, what are you appreciate gonna, that? What are you going to tell the grandchildren about Giannis Antetokounmpo? I'm going to tell the grandchildren that he was the single-handedly most freakish athlete athlete I've ever seen. But I think the best compliment that I can pay him. Um, you know, just the way that I was raised, the way that I was brought up. Um, the best compliment I can pay him is he's as good, if not a better human being than he is a basketball player. And I think we all get to see him as a basketball player. We all get to see the things he can do on the court. We all get to see how much of a, a genuine freak he is athletically. Um, but as a human being, the morals that he has, what he stands for, the family, the hard work, the work ethic that I've seen since day one, you know, I'm a second round pick. I'm a guy that like Jeff alluded to earlier, you know, I had, I had to and still have to make sure um, I'm working as hard as I can to keep my role, keep my job in this league and, and continue to hopefully have, uh, you know, a longer career than anybody ever predicted for me. I would go in twice a day, uh, you know, the first, the first one I got to Milwaukee during those open gyms, I'd be in there for the open gyms for the list in the morning. And I'd be in there again at night getting out extra shots. Giannis was right there with me. And, and, you know, he was the guy that said, I haven't seen people come back. I would always come back, but being able to come back with somebody, being able to come back with somebody who, you know, we can do shooting games with, it'll help him improve. Heck, the competition will help me improve. Um, it's things that, it's things like that that kind of show who he is as a person and why he's able to have the success on a national scale that he's able to have. What's interesting um, to me is that uh, at the, at, he's at a certain level now at the top of the food chain and, and in this league at this present point in time, he's 25 years old, but he had to, he, he didn't break, break into the league tearing, taking it apart. Did he not nope. even close? I mean, he, he's, this is what it's almost got. For, so I, this is, I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking, my God, of course, how could he have gotten this good when he wasn't that notable? He was this big kid from Greece and athletic as all get out. We knew that in the beginning, but my God, no one was projecting this. were they, I don't think when he started. No, I don't think so either. And I think, I think it gets overlooked a little bit. I think, you know, when I say how much of a hard worker he is, how great of a human being he is, the extra time he puts in, everyone thinks, okay, well, he's great. That makes sense. And then I think when people look back to his rookie year and they see this skinny, wiry, lanky kid, they think, oh, well, 
he was only 18. He had to put on weight as he grew up and got older, but the weight didn't just come on. He had to work hard for that. He had to put extra time in the gym. He had to do the things that, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Most NBA guys, most basketball players, they like to play basketball. The strength and conditioning side of it, I think, is often overlooked when it comes to, to the NBA because of the amount of games. Like, let's be honest, half of it's health and safety. You don't want to be, you know, fatigued going through an NBA game. That's when injuries can happen. But the other half is strength and conditioning goes a long way. And I think Giannis bought into that. I think Giannis spent the late nights, the early mornings in the offseason doing extra lifts, making sure that his diet was right, making sure that, you know, he got strong and he got to the point now where let's, he can't be stopped when he goes to the rim. And now he's looking to the next step. Hey, what is the next step? I know when I go to the rim, if there's two guys on me, it can't be stopped. The second the defense starts collapsing and there's three or four, all right, now I might, I'll might i kick to my teammate. I'll find someone else. But now he's starting to realize, hey, I've put that time in and effort on the harder thing, and that's the strength, the conditioning, the changing my body. Now it's about putting the time in and the shooting. Now it's about opening up the floor for myself and my teammates um, to best utilize that body that I've built. And I think that's where his effort and energy has been going for the last two years from what I've seen. And I think, you know, the numbers say it's improved. And more importantly than anything, he's shooting the ball with confidence. Whether they go in or not right now is irrelevant. The fact that he's able to change his mindset from trying to go through four guys to taking an open jump shot is only going to make him uh, a better shooter in the coming years. So a lot of players are sitting around watching Ozark like me and playing video <laughs> games. Um, what, what else are you doing? I mean, you've you got this business, this real estate uh, company, developing company that you've had with your dad for years now. H how much does that keep you busy right now at a time when, let's face it, like a lot of guys are going stir crazy. They don't know what to do with themselves. Um, wh what have you been doing with this? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I'm human as well. I watch some shows. I watch Billions. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, you know, I uh, will play the occasional video game here or there. Um, I actually play NHL because growing up in uh, Arlington, Mass, was a hockey town. I, 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 I had to play video. Yes, exactly. If I had to play. If I had to play exactly. If I was going to play video games uh, with my buddies, it had to, I had to learn how to play the hockey video game. So uh, I do that here and there. But for the majority of it, I try to look at it. Um, you know, just kind of the way that I've been wired. How can I uh, better myself in other areas? Like you mentioned, I have a real estate development company with my dad. And, you know, it's something that we have three or four projects going on right now. I have a job site that's going on right now that, you know, my best friend from Arlington, you know, works on every single day. He's out here and, uh, you know, I go buy it every day. I see the foundation get put in, the concrete get poured. Um, you know, the, the framing starts to get ready to be put up, the steel be put in. Um, so I'm able to look at things both on a project by project basis, but also on a grander scale, like how is the company going to grow? Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I understand I've been fortunate, uh, going to Notre Dame from an educational standpoint, I understand sports will end someday for me. They were never guaranteed to be a pro sport from the beginning. It was never guaranteed that I was going to be NBA five years, let alone hopeful 10, 12, 15, whatever it is. So how can I look at where my real estate company is now, where I'm investing my money and, you know, where I'm getting other players involved and how can we grow it? How can we get it to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated with the idea of helping pro athletes maintain their wealth throughout, um, you know, 
their not just their generation, but future generations. I think ever since I saw that 30 for 30 broke, um, I wanted to see what's the opposite of that. How can you, how can you rewrite that story? How can you rewrite that script? Um, and I think a lot of it comes from, I'm in a fortunate position, uh, you know, as a pro athlete myself, I understand what it's like when businessmen come to you with all these ideas and how skeptical you should be of them and how many of them are, you know, scams, if you will. But when there's somebody who's in pro sports, you inherently trust them a little bit more. They're coming from the same side of things that you are. You, they see the things that you see every single day. Um, it's, you know, why we're all built the way that we're kind of built. It's, it's like a fraternity, if you will. So if I can help get some of these guys involved in the things that I'm doing, the value that I'm creating in real estate, you know, that will cash flow and continue to make money for long after my playing career, um, then I think I can help be a small part of getting some of these athletes to change that, um, you know, narrative, change that, hey, where is my income coming from when basketball is over? Some of them are going to make so much damn money, it doesn't really matter. Let's be I honest. think you need Giannis but, as a partner, Pat. I think that would be yeah. – the intelligent move would be to try to partner up with Giannis if you can. I think – I, I right? think you're right. But to the same token, if I can prove it with the Pat Connaughton salary, Good then point. all of a sudden Giannis being involved just makes it that much easier to show. Very true. Very true. Pat – But it's fun. Pat, there's no school in America that's surrounded by more mythology than Notre Dame. So what was the reality? Uh, the reality, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. You know, I think for me, um, my parents made me a deal. They said, you're going to go to St. John's Prep. You don't get to decide where you're going to go to high school. You can decide where you want to go to college. Uh, I think it was a little bit, I think, they, I think they were playing me for a fool a little bit. I think uh, they knew going to St. John's with what I saw from the demand, both academically and athletically, um, that that was going to kind of leave a mark on me and make me understand there's more to life than sports, even though sports are the thing that I wanted to make my life, if you will. Um, so when I was looking at schools, you know, my second choice was UCLA. I looked at Vanderbilt. I looked at uh, BC because it was home. Um, but when push came to shove, that idea of Notre Dame being a four-year decision for 40 years of your life, it is real is real it's realistic you know i think the people that you meet there the school itself is great the education you get is great but the community around it and the things that are made from notre dame alums the network that is built um the fact that it's in south bend indiana where there's not anything else there um it bleeds notre dame uh, i think that all makes what's so special about the place real and it's what kind of makes a guy who had no chance of getting in there if it wasn't for athletics, really appreciate the people that I met. And now that I'm trying to do some business things myself, the network that's created and how many alums are willing to help and mentor, um, you know, for a guy that wouldn't have gotten in other ways, otherwise anyway. Did you feel you, and I mean the team, all your teammates, sufficiently appreciated as basketball players as opposed to, you know what, players? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we were able to do a pretty good job of, uh, while I was there, of making the basketball team almost as relevant as the football team. That's, that's um, a worthy goal. At the, at the end of the day, obviously, football is the elephant in the room. You know, Notre Dame football is historic. Um, Jaron and myself wanted to make Notre Dame basketball's legacy grow. We wanted to make sure, you know, Coach Bray was seen for the greatness that he deserved. Um, and we thought, 
you know, coming back. I mean, my junior year, I had a chance to leave and go play baseball professionally. Jaron had a chance to go to the draft, even though the season was cut short. Uh, you know, but we talked about it before that summer and we said, hey, we want to finish what we started. And that was not just to go out and be better basketball players than we were when we came in and have a chance to be professional basketball players, but we want to go out um, as a winning team. We want to go out and leave something here that makes recruits and people want to be a part of what we've started and help coach Bray continue to grow that program. And I think um, we were able to do that. Uh, and I think more than anything, um, it just helped Notre Dame athletics in general grow. Since I don't think, uh, since I don't think that, that um, a player can be accused of tampering. Uh, I'm going to ask you who out there that you, uh, you see nightly or you play against blows your mind you go oh my god you know this in the league so for me personally I'm a, a huge fan of watching Russell Westbrook um I know sometimes he gets criticized for for being out of control or for I don't know being Russ if you will but for me personally I think and it honestly it came from growing up watching Kevin Garnett um I think that tenacity that's played with and their ability to somehow block out everything that's going on and be in their own world but at the same time fuel off of the fans and the things that are happening was fascinating I thought it was incredible both not, not just for themselves but for their team you know like you I wanted to run through a wall for Kevin Garnett when I was a kid watching the Celtics play like I would have literally tried to run through a brick wall eight times in a row before I decided that I'm smart enough to figure out another way to get around the wall uh, just because of the things that he brought to the table. And I thought, I think Russ does similar stuff. I mean, I'll never forget my rookie year being in Oklahoma for the first time and seeing him sprint from the scorer's table to the stanchion right in front of our bench, seeing the crowd go nuts, seeing him like genuinely be in a different world at that moment in time when he was screaming. Like, I thought it was incredible. Now, the competitive side of me wanted to, to win and wanted me, wanted to show, wanted to shut him up a little bit, but as far as when we're not playing them, I think it's one of the, um, you know, better things in sports to, to, to watch and to be a fan of. Uh, I'm so uh, last question for you, Pat, um, and we'll let you go. All these scenarios have been floated out there for when NBA, if and when, but hopefully when yeah. the NBA uh, resumes. What, what's the one that you kind of have kind of gravitated to the most so far? Is there one that you like? Uh, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure there's one that I like besides just things going back to normal in the NBA, letting fans being able to come into the arenas and us having some salvage of a season. Um, the one that I think is unique, the business mind, the Pat Connaughton business mind that comes, um, to the front of my mind is kind of the idea of there's 450 guys in the NBA. I'm not sure how many essential personnel there are, including that. Obviously, coaches, management, training, strength and conditioning. I'm sure there's more that I'm missing. Um, but the fascinating one to me is just finding a way to quarantine the NBA, if you will. Finding a way to take two weeks, quarantine the NBA somewhere, somehow, um, so that you can play games. I think, you know, it would be different. It would be a sacrifice for, you know, players and NBA personnel. You'd have to be away from your family. You'd have to, you know, be by yourself for two months probably to finish the season or something. 
But I also think from a business standpoint, if I take the personal emotions out of it from a business standpoint, it's something that gives the NBA a spectacle, it's something that gives the NBA viewership back. It's something that can at least give the country some hope on being able to watch a sport that they've grown to love and a league that has become worldwide now. And would, you be, would you be comfortable with that, Pat, of, of still going in, right? You're all tested. At that time, nobody has coronavirus. It's going to be allowed to play. But, but we still don't know. Right now, there are plenty of people that, that are probably living with coronavirus that we don't know about right now. But in a week, they're going to, they're going to, be, you know, they're going to come down with it or, or be tested for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you'd, you'd have to put in some pretty heavy protocols. You know, I think first and foremost, I think you'd have to get all 450 and everybody else tested right away. I think you'd have to wait two weeks. I mean, look, as long as it doesn't take tests away from the general public and people that actually have the virus, I understand all that. But I think you'd have to wait two weeks after you got everyone tested, make sure nobody got it right before or didn't show up on tests, get them retested. And I think if you go through two rounds of tests uh, and no one comes out with it, I think you've got a chance. I think if anybody comes out with it, can you quarantine them to one hotel? Can you have one specific spot where they are? And I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I think the entire NBA is suffering right now. If you have one, two, three, if it was me personally, I'd take myself out of commission for two weeks and make myself suffer uh, while other guys can play games for the betterment of the league. Um, and then I think if you're able to at least control that essential personnel uh, I think there's a chance where it's like, hey, if no one's come in and no one's come out, if everything that we're touching has been sanitized before we got there, I think there's a way to at least control it. And if nothing else, it's almost a dummy test for the country to see, hey, if we went full quarantine mode some to some degree, we can eliminate it. But it also allows the country to have something to watch. It also allows us to continue to play. And from a business standpoint, it allows the NBA to kind of be the front of a um, you know, professional sports world, which I think Adam's done a great job of making sure that we have been for the last five, six, seven, eight years. Listen, we, we need something. I'm getting bored of watching impractical jokers every single night. Okay. I love <laughs> yeah, it. You, hey, when you get to the point you're watching the same, same joke. Over like, and over. Oh, I've seen that over, one. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> happens way too often. And I still watch it. That's the worst part is I'm no. still watching it. No, no, uh, I remember listen. that. That one was great. <laughs> Thank, thanks to, to, to one of my favorite mass holes, and I, and I mean that, uh, Pat Cotton. <laughs> appreciate you joining us. Stay safe out there. I'm glad I could get you and Bob together. This has been a long time coming. I, I told both of you you'd love each other, and, uh, and I think now you can we'll, – we'll do this in person at Ocean Walk, the three of us, maybe a year from now, Pat, or after sounds, the season ends. Sounds great to me, and then hopefully by then I'll have met Chris Conley. Is that the name, Bob? What? Oh, oh, Gene Conley. Gene, Gene Conley. We'll stay. I'll, I'll make Gene that Conley. happen. Okay. Appreciate that. You got All it. Right. Take care, Pat. We'll talk right, to you soon. Care, guys. Thanks, man. Bye.